Welcome. Welcome. To the Anxious in Austin podcast. Hello, podcast world. We are very excited that we have a guest today. Yeah, a guest. Oh, fun days when we have a guest here. Um, I am Marianne Stout, and this is my colleague. Yep. Thomas Smithyman. Yeah. That's what I say, doctor. Doctor. Thomas Doctor, <laughs> Doctor, and, uh, Doctor, yeah, and I'm Doctor Ryan Douglas. Yes, he is one of our colleagues here at the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin, in Austin. Yeah, and he's he's our resident uh, PTSD expert. <laughs> no pressure. I'm sure he loves the word expert. I'm not too <laughs> fond of that word expert. We have been I am like, the one who treats most of the PTSD yeah. here. You have a lot of experience. Yes. With, with PTSD, How about that? Right? You're the most experienced of all of us. Thank you. Does that yes. feel yeah. better? Sure. We've been like twisting your arm forever to get you to come on our podcast, and I don't know how we finally convinced you to do it. But it's probably because we weren't saying things like expert. Whoops. <laughs> Trying yeah. to keep the so. pressure <laughs> down. Um, yeah. Well, here's what I'll say Ryan is the person I go to if I have a PTSD question. Yeah, I agree. Or if I need to make a referral, it's going to yeah. be to you. All right. Um, so guru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you also might recognize him from his recent oh, yeah. tele- televised <laughs> interview on Spectrum. If you saw it on our website, you've seen it. If yeah. not, you probably haven't okay. ever seen it. Yeah, uh, interview on Spectrum News. Yes. Yeah, he's a really you know up and coming big deal and yeah, truly really, yeah, it's gone viral. I, yeah, I, I, heard, right? I, I think it was set up by his. Like, uh, I think the anxious handler. Austin websites even picked it up. And they're showing it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> in two places. Oh, yeah. goodness. Poor Ryan. Um, well, I'm curious. What got you interested in PTSD? Um, a big part of it was in grad school, the lab that I was in was um, around, was interested in stress specifically. Um, and so a lot of my early kind of research experiences and training was around um teacher stress and worker stress and other things. Um, but I kind of became more interested in grief and trauma using that same kind of Fultman and Lazarus transactional model as kind of a background. That was like what some of my like research what? was based on. Um, who should do in the what now? Yeah. Uh, a couple of uh, psychologists who developed a model of stress that we used a lot in our lab. Um, but I was interested in looking at kind of different stressors than the ones that we were tending to look at in our lab. So I think a lot of my dissertation research was on grief, and then whenever I was in on my internship, I was at the VA, and there were lots of opportunities to get training in PTSD, and so that became an interest of mine. And, and this is with, with veterans? Mm-hmm. All right, okay. Although I'm certainly, even before working at the VA, worked with some clients with PTSD in different settings in Austin. Can I ask what that stress model is, or is that a whole other tangent? Uh, well, I, I can probably give you the the brief version. Um, yeah, the like so one, it, one paragraph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, it, it places emphasis on kind of the role of um, resources versus demands. And so the okay. d- stress is defined as a transaction rather than um, kind of like the traditional model of like uh, stress like on a bridge. Like it's so, it, so there's um, you've got your resources, which could be interpersonal resources, financial resources. Mm-hmm sleep physical physical health um and then the demands are just the various things that are placed upon you and so it's kind of like a seesaw and that's going to change from person to person and situation to situation um so it's kind of into assessing that and then also part of the model goes into 
different types of coping and whether or not they're effective. Okay. So emotion for I, focus I, coping. I have come across this. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I realize that's instinctively how I talk about stress with people. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is in that, like, what are the demands versus what are, yeah. what resources do you have? What can you do to bolster that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when your resources are low, things like your anxiety may be easier to yeah. flare up. Another helpful aspect of it to me was that it, it doesn't really... Um, talk about good versus bad coping strategies, which I think is a trap that a lot of us fall into. Like, I think, I mean, certainly we can identify bad coping strategies, but it's more coping strategies that fit the person or the situation. So uh-huh. there's meaning-focused coping, emotion-focused coping, kind of mm-hmm. act- active coping. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think maybe as a culture or even as, like, psychologists, we tend to place more emphasis on, like, active coping strategies versus others. But that's not always appropriate or helpful. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's looking at the type of coping that will be useful in a certain situation is going to vary across people and across situations yeah. and you don't want to discourage people from engaging in certain types just because it's emotion focused or down regulating emotion or whatever like it, it's going to Interesting. be different for different people mm. I actually you know, I talk in, in that same that, that same stuff with um, with rejection right because I do so mm-hmm. much social anxiety stuff and dating anxiety stuff where the rejection is inherent in the the process and so sort of develop actual here's the coping plan for when this happens mm. right what do you tend to do what works what doesn't work and coming up with like a more planned kind of coping strategy yeah yeah well, I think one of the ways it helps me with PTSD treatment is thinking about avoidant coping as you know even oh, though that's something that we yeah not very but it's also it's appropriate sometimes I mean there are times where some kind of strategic avoidance is the best way to go if you're in a really loud noisy situation and you're starting to have a flashback maybe you should you know put the headphones in or get okay. off the bus yeah. for a little bit you know uh-huh. um, it's, so it's like get yourself out of an overstimulating situation right or it's recognizing like certainly you don't want that yeah. to be the only way you cope that's sure. when things are really problematic but uh-huh. some strategic avoidance is, is, is okay from time to time so I think that's how it maybe applies to PTSD to some degree mm. okay so so you when you do your I guess you came out of this model and you started getting into the PTSD because you were working with veterans and then you brought some of that with you mm-hmm. when you started working with with PTSD? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think as a conceptual model of kind of thinking about stress, sure, that's probably with me all the time, mm-hmm. no matter what the diagnosis is. Um, but yeah, I think it's specifically helped with PTSD to some degree as well. So was it a big shift then moving to the VA and having so much PTSD work and have it be a very specific clientele and type of It was a big PTSD. shift moving from Austin to Cleveland for <laughs> 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 um, But yeah, I mean, I think that the shift from moving to the VA, it's hard to know how much of that was specifically about treating PTSD. I'm sure some of it was, but a lot of it was also just adjusting to working in a huge hospital and adjusting to you know, different software that I had to learn how to use and different expectations of the, the program there in terms of when to be at certain classes and when to mm-hmm. find time to do your notes and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, certainly I think on on my PTSD rotation, there was an adjustment in terms of um, having had PTSD kind of occasionally before that point and now being faced with like a whole lot of yeah. talking about some pretty horrible things on at least three out of the five days of the week, if mm-hmm. not more, um, can be pretty heavy. I was going to say, I think that's a big reason why I personally don't do a lot of PTSD work. Mm-hmm. 
how do you, yeah, cope with working with... Well, one is I don't, I mean, I, my, my whole caseload is not PTSD. Uh-huh. <laughs> I keep it Yet. that way on purpose. Until <laughs> <laughs> after this podcast. Until yeah, everyone comes uh-huh. flooding to you for PTSD um, treatment. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think part of that is self-care and not overloading yourself. If you have a couple of pretty heavy cases, then maybe... Using some avoidant coping. Maybe don't take one on for a little <laughs> while and do some other things that yeah. have, you know, where you can take a different angle or they feel more straightforward or you're at least just using different skills. Which um, is managing your own stress level, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so that's a part of it. I also think, I mean, some of it may be, like, I don't know if personality is the right way of thinking about it, but I think, you know, some people are more able to listen to that story and not get personally involved in it or at least maintain some level of here's the reason why we're doing this it's useful it's helpful even though it's painful versus other people who maybe just can it's harder to keep that separation over time Mm -hmm. and starts to just feel really overwhelming and sad which is Um, which is that's i mean i feel feel like that that sounds to me like a legitimate like issue right because mm -hmm. as therapists as psychologists you're supposed to be like you're using your human self, yeah, and you're listening to people and engaging with what they're experiencing, and like the whole mirror neuron thing is going to be happening. You're right. going to be feeling. So it's this. I don't know that. That feels like sort of a weird, a weird kind of uh, like sort of conflict involved. It's like, yeah. well, I've got to open myself up to it, but there's only a certain amount mm-hmm. that I could handle, like being open to, and somebody who's like. Well, I'm just really defended against it. The person's probably going to feel that. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, it is a, Oof, it's a yeah. fine line. I mean, I, I don't try to be defended against anything. Um, although I don't know that you have total control over that. It's not all <laughs> sure, conscious. Yeah, totally. Um, but I mean, I guess one way I think about it is that I, when I worry about clients after sessions, it tends to be about present stuff, like situations that's actively going on. Like I'm uh-huh. worried about their relationship, or I'm worried about their safety, or something that's happening now. I don't spend any time worrying about stuff that happened to clients 5, 10, 15 years ago. It may be painful to listen to in the moment, but it's not something that's going to keep me up at night. And I don't view that as unempathetic. It just seems practical. Like, I need to be there for them in that moment. Mm -hmm. If they are, if they're in danger in some way, like if they have a drug problem or something, I may worry about that. But I'm not going to be worried too much about the thing that we're working on that happened 5 years ago or 10 years ago. So is it that a lot of what you're working on is sort of the fallout from the PTSD? Like, if the avoided coping becomes too much, or, right, like, it's causing distress in my relationships or my mm-hmm. occupation and my functioning? Often, I mean, oftentimes that's what brings a client into treatment is not... I mean, sometimes it's, I think I have PTSD, but a lot of the time it's my marriage is falling apart or I can't focus at work or can't sleep or, you know, there's some other thing and then either they have an inkling that it's trauma-related or they don't know um, and they think it's some other thing and then Mm. it kind of comes out. Um, So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the main factor that drives people into seek treatment is it's not... Because, I mean, a lot of them, I think, are working their hardest to defend themselves against having intrusive thoughts and memories and so they may be doing a whole bunch of avoidant stuff Mm -hmm. and managing things relatively well but then at some point there's too many demands using that same model yeah. which could be work gets too stressful or they get have three kids now and it's too, you know too much there's not enough time to just kind of do what they need to do to manage their their stress um, so that I think that's the thing that causes people to seek out treatment all the time is they're just overwhelmed 
Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so how do you treat PTSD? <laughs> um, what type of treatment do you do? Well, so the types of treatment that I uh, was trained in at the VA are cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure. And I got a little bit more training in cognitive processing therapy, but I've kind of come to like prolonged exposure more. Um, what's, what, yeah, what's the difference? So cognitive processing therapy is... Uh, they're both kind of considered past-oriented treatments. So there are past-oriented treatments and present-oriented treatments for PTSD. Um, the three that are kind of the gold standard, so that's CPT, or cognitive processing therapy, PE, or prolonged exposure, and EMDR, or eye movement deprocessing. Uh, de- since, eh, it's, I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> EMDR, we all know what that is. Yeah. Eye, eye movement stuff. Yeah, Tapping. Right. Um, <laughs> Bilateral um, stimulation. So... Um, uh-huh. Those three are the ones that probably have the most research, but they also all have some component that like looks into the past and either re- relives or remembers or writes about um, mm-hmm. past thing, past memories or traumatic memories. Um, so the two that I were trained in were CPT and PE. CPT is more um, a little bit more like traditional cognitive behavioral therapy, where you're going to be identifying some problematic thinking patterns. So there's the traditional kind of cognitive distortions that we would look at, should statements, mm-hmm. black or white thinking, mind reading, those kinds of things. Um, so a big part of it is just developing skills at identifying and challenging your own problematic thoughts. Okay. Um, but then there are other things, there are other assignments. So you write an impact statement, which talks about the impact of the trauma on you. And then from that, sometimes we can pull some of those what are considered stuck points out. So beliefs that have become kind of firmly lodged that may or may not be factual like for instance a really common one would be it was my fault that this happened when maybe there's really no evidence for that Um, so there's a lot of kind of cognitive challenging work in that particular one and then PE is more traditional exposure therapy you do some in vivo exposure to situations or things that trigger traumatic reactions so it could be the smell of a certain type of cologne associated with some negative memory or it could be a crowded area that is really triggering Um, and then you also do a lot of imaginal exposure to basically reliving and recounting traumatic experiences so so basically like the the memories bringing the memories up on purpose Mm -hmm. yeah a a kind of by the book PE session is 90 minutes long because you want to have enough time for a person to habituate so you would just be you would check in about progress over the week but then also just do like whatever the the memory is that you're working on they would be um speaking you know talking through it you kind of create like here's what the memory is here kind of like the hot spots where you're likely to experience a lot of distress and then you just kind of repeat and repeat and repeat and track suds and kind of wait until you see some habituation So it works really well it also has a very high dropout rate sure it's very hard it's hard yeah yeah so it's it's, I've seen it work beautifully, but it's also it's a tough sell. It's a pretty hard therapy. That's yeah, I mean that's that's just the issue with exposure, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's the most powerful thing there is, and it's super super hard. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I can relate. I, I wouldn't want to do it. Same here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't have to. Yeah, it's it's not fun. It's painful. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of, it's um, making a choice. Like I'm willing to take this pain now in order to right. not have this in the future. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's it's easier for us too because we know 
hey, you habituate. It's going to get better. It goes right. down. Like, trust me, like, yeah. around around that corner, it like things look much, much better. Right, yeah, stay with me, stay with We've me. We've been around yeah. that corner so many times, yeah, we, we know what it, it looks like. Right. But someone comes in, PTSD, they've been around that corner. Right. They're, they're just, just kind of trust tr- trusting us, so. right? Yeah, yeah. That we're telling them, no, seriously, it's good. Right. Yeah, so because of that, kind of the dropout problem in the research and also just personal experience of like, you know, it's not an uncommon thing for me to get one or two sessions into PE and then like never hear from someone sure. again or yeah. they're kind of like, eh, can we try something else? This is a bit much. Yeah. Um, I try to do some other things first. So, you know, some of the more present oriented therapies are things like stress inoculation training. Or, What's that? Um, it's, a, it's a cognitive behavioral therapy that's, it does a lot of the traditional stress management stuff that you might have seen used in a lot of different other settings. So, some breathing strategies, mm. some relaxation strategies, some identification of you know triggers and kind of knowing um, when you should be kind of on alert for these. Like when are they likely to happen? So you're not caught off guard quite as much. Um, amongst other things. So there's you know there's some tracking and journaling stuff. There's some relaxation stuff. Do, do you tend to do the cognitive stuff before you get into the prolonged exposure? Kind of depends on the client. If I'm experi- uh-huh. if I feel like there's a lot of resistance to doing anything that looks at the past, then I'll probably do more of the kind of, you know, relaxation training. Maybe let's do some controlled breathing. Maybe let's do some grounding skills um, and spend a few sessions on that to try to just build trust and give you mm-hmm. something that can help you just manage symptoms before broaching the subject of like, hey, we maybe should also do this thing that's going to ask you to write about some really painful experiences or talk about some really painful experiences. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I do try to make that clear up front that, you know, at some point probably we're going to need to do CPT or PE or some of both, um, but we don't have to start there necessarily. Sure. You know, like if it helps you feel more comfortable, we can do some other things first and see if that's beneficial to you. Is there a difference in the work if it's like a one-time trauma, like say I was in a combat situation or Mm -hmm. I was raped one time or something, right? Like versus like ongoing, like a this history of ongoing mm-hmm. trauma, like continual oh, abuse by family. I, mean, thing, I, I, I don't think there's that many people out there that were in a combat situation that only experienced sure. one trauma. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there is a difference. Um, that's not to say that for some individuals, I mean, everybody's reaction to trauma is different. So some individuals may have had one single trauma that by comparison to some other person doesn't seem as intense, but that their symptoms are worse. So, you know, it, mm. it very, it can, some of that has to do with personality. Some of that has to do with just resilience or other kind of factors. But I think that um, it's not always the case that the person who has the single car accident is going to be easier to treat than the person who has complex trauma. But generally so, yeah. I mean, I think it's especially it's, if it's one trauma and you're not too far out, it hasn't been like building for years and years and years. It's like this happened six months ago mm. or something like that, then I, yeah, it does feel a lot more straightforward to me in that case than it is when either you've had multiple traumas over long periods of time or you've had multiple periods in your life, so you had some childhood trauma, maybe you had some medical thing happen and then you were deployed in combat and went through all that, like, oh. that's a lot harder because there's just trauma built upon trauma. Yeah, like, how do you decide which one to focus on? It's, I mean, sometimes the answer is, like, what are the memories that are most kind of Impacting. intrusive what are the ones that you keep okay. seeing when you don't want to see them and then let's focus on those right yeah. but just like with OCD sometimes 
you work on those, you make progress, and then some other thing pops up. Yeah. And it's this thing I haven't thought about since I was 10 years old, and all of a sudden now it's in my head, right? Um, so that can happen what, too. What would, so if someone's listening and they're like, oh, I wonder if, I wonder if I can't maybe had some traumas, I wonder if I have PTSD, like what, what, what should people be looking for? I guess to decide, oh, this this might be what's going on and I should maybe treat it. Yeah, so I think that's really important. So just because you've experienced a trauma doesn't mean that you have PTSD. Um, you can either have no diagnosis as a result of that, which is pretty commonly the case. I mean, just like grief, we do go through kind of a natural healing process with trauma, and a lot of people are able to move through those stages. Through, I mean, it's not immediate, but like after a period of months or maybe a year or so, um, kind of recover on their own, right? So there might not be a diagnosis attached to having a trauma. Um, sure, it's not like every single person who experiences combat has PTSD. N- no, yeah. I, I mean, uh, combat, especially with, like multiple deployments, you're a lot more likely to sure. than certain other kinds of traumas. But, but yeah, there are certainly people who've been deployed and don't have PTSD. Um, but you can also have different reactions. So a person could have traumatic experiences and as a result experience panic disorder or depression or some other thing like it doesn't always have to lead to PTSD specifically sure and there's, there's also the, isn't there the post-traumatic growth yeah like stuff to yeah like which can happen with or without the diagnosis right you might experience uh-huh. growth in some ways but still struggle in others that's interesting um, okay but yeah I mean I think that it can can lead to benefits to, for some people as well um, but to get back to the question I think you know things that you probably would be on the lookout for one are you having intrusive thoughts are you having memories pop into your awareness that you don't want to have pop into your awareness and you can't specifically control about it. that trauma yeah specifically about the trauma or maybe trauma related things right like it could be maybe not i mean a lot of the time it's going to be you know a glimpse of that car accident or a glimpse of that situation but it could be for instance like you saw someone die and it's just a flash of their face or some other thing like mm. that right so it might not be specifically the trauma, but it's kind of like an intrusive thought or image. Um, uh, that would be one, I mean, not everybody has a ton of those, but that's a pretty standard thing that you would be experiencing if you had PTSD. Um, and then I think um, avoidance, avoidance of things that remind you of the trauma. So if you find yourself not reading the news, specifically because it brings up stuff related to a trauma. Um, no, not because it's generally good for you. <laughs> because the news, the news is the worst. Not because it's, it's terrible. Not because it's awful. But yeah. Tell everybody to never watch the news. But for the reason of trauma. Specifically <laughs> because it's bringing up trauma. Or, yeah. Um, or other things, too. Like, you know, um, not being around um, certain types of social situations because they make you feel unsafe. Even there's no real evidence that they are unsafe. Okay. Hypervigilance would be another one. So just feeling like your guard's up. You're just keyed up all the time, kind of on the lookout for um, danger. Maybe not all the time, but like Uh in a lot of different situations, you're probably more anxious than you need to be. And that's like looking for external dangers. Right, like right. Scanning, scanning the scanning around you. Not always, but usually that's the way it presents. You know, okay. I guess the stereotypical thing would be like the guy who goes in a restaurant and sits with his back against the wall and sure. kind of scopes out the entrance, right? Gotcha. Um, but it might not be that specific all the time. It could be like a more general sense of just, like, just like easily startled agitation. Or yeah, yeah okay. high, high startle response. So I mean, there's others, but those would probably be things that if you had most of those symptoms pretty good indicator that maybe you should go get checked out for PTSD. Mm. What, what, what about the dreams? Yeah, the nightmares? Yeah, so, you know, so that's like considered an, an intrusion symptom like okay. flashbacks or intrusive thoughts. Um, 
but yeah, and the dreams don't have to be of the specific trauma, but they need to be mm. related to the trauma. So like a similar kind of situation, like it might be mixed up like dreams are, right? Sure. It could happen in the future or in your childhood home or some other thing, but it's still related to the trauma. Or there's a dragon there. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be the actual sure. event itself, yeah. but it's, it's very similar to the event. The feeling tones are the same. You wake up panicky or with a sense of dread. Totally. I, I feel like in like whatever movie or TV sort of versions of... PTSD they're having flashbacks right mm-hmm. and in the flashbacks they're suddenly back in Vietnam and right. crawling on the is that what a flashback looks like in it, real life it can be but not very often it's usually like a glimpse and some disorientation so it's a dissociative symptom where you're you're feeling off right you might be looking at a picture of the wall that looks to you like Vietnam or of some other thing and you feel disoriented you feel anxious but most people don't report believing that they were Actually, physically back there. Yeah. Um, I'm. You know. I think that's happened, but it's. It's not. That's not. It's more just like a momentary kind of like, whoa, that was weird. What just mm-hmm. happened? Mm-hmm. Really disoriented, and it's very alarming. Is it? Is that a like? A, I don't know what's the background of it. Is Is it like memory intruding into the present? I think that's one of the theories to explain mm-hmm. it. But yeah, that this is the part okay. where I'm going to call the. Uh, I'm not an expert on that card. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do think that there is there have been some theories about how memory is processed differently with traumatic experiences mm-hmm. than it is with others, and I think part, that may explain part of that. That you're getting maybe a specific sense, like a you know a smell or a sound or something, is being processed differently yeah. than like a kind of biographical memory. Mm-hmm. And so it can lead to this real disorienting thing where you're like, well, that reminds me of something, but I don't know what, and I can't put it in a context. So you just you have all the emotions, but you don't have like the information to help you understand what this is connected to. Mm-hmm. And I know what you're saying, that not everybody experiences PTSD after a trauma, but are there ways to inoculate, right, if there's a trauma? Mm-hmm. That's a and, good question. Yeah. Like, yeah. To keep it, because I'm just thinking, like, to, to, as to psychologists, we always get, it turns into that, yeah, right? after yeah. every, like, Hurricane Harvey and things like that, I know the Red Cross puts out, like, a call, like, psychologists... Come yeah. down here and talk to people, and yeah, certainly there are efforts being made in research on this, and I think there's also some programs for this. But yeah, I, I do think that there are. Um, I mean, big ones are the same things that we might think about for depression, for other things like lifestyle stuff. Uh-huh. Are you exercising? Are you sure. eating right? Are you in general increasing? And, yeah, I mean, social resources. support is social support is huge. Like having a safety net of people that you're actively engaging with. Um, uh-huh. It shows it all sounds like resource increasing. Yeah, right? increasing yeah. your resources so you can handle the stress, stress. There, actually, I know I don't know that can't remember the details, but there has been some research also on specific medications and whether they can kind of reduce the likelihood of de- developing PTSD. I don't know mm-hmm. where we are with that in terms of if it's actually going to happen. But um, I'm but assuming one of those is not alcohol. <laughs> no, okay. definitely so, not. No. So, so no benefit to drinking. <laughs> I don't think that that's a great. I mean, that's that's one of those things that I'll say like, well, there's there's not really good bad coping, but that's probably not the greatest <laughs> way to cope with anything. Sure. Um, um, is there research on like processing the trauma even prior to developing PTSD? You know, kind of doing like a yeah, like do PE I, or do should I, I do talk exposure about it? Yeah. Like the next day to like stop myself from getting mm-hmm. into it? Or yeah, you know, I'm. I probably need to look and see if there's been more research on that in the last couple of years. I, I think that, so whenever I was being trained in the VA, the, the story that I got on this was more, um, we don't want to do a lot of you know, heavy exposure or something in the absence of real symptoms. Like sure. it's, it's not going to be useful mm-hmm. to 
uh, try to proactively bring this stuff up just to process it if sure. we're not actually seeing problems sure. there. That makes um, sense. So I don't think that it, it's typically a good idea to for someone to be like, you know, I had one bad day, I probably need to go in and go through a whole round of PTSD treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could be jumping the gun. But I, I would say, like, you know, one thing is, like, if you notice yourself avoiding certain situations, just like with other anxiety disorders, I'd say try to put yourself back in that situation. If you got panicky on the highway because some sound reminded you of something, go back and drive on that highway as soon as you can, lean into that fear so that you don't develop a big avoidance of that place or that thing. Um, so I think that is a proactive thing that you can do. But I wouldn't say if you're not having other symptoms that you should still go out there and do treatment. Um, maybe get some general counseling or some other kind of thing. But I don't think you need prolonged exposure. Sure. If you're not really having PTSD symptoms. Yeah, so, and because general counseling is kind of like what you guys were saying about, are you increasing the resources, maybe? Mm -hmm. Like better coping and more support? Absolutely. Yeah. What, maybe I already know the answer, but maybe listeners would love to hear this. What can friends and family do to help a loved one with PTSD? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it's just being there and letting them know that when they want to talk, they'll be available. Um, oftentimes people with pretty significant PTSD are going to go through periods of time where they're avoiding people, um, hiding in the basement or some other kind of analogous thing. Um, and, you know, try not to personalize that. Like, it's a part of the disorder. They're not it's not a judgment on you. I mean, I mean, I guess it could be, but it's not usually about your behavior specifically as much as it is a symptom of the disorder. They just don't feel safe. So trying to keep lines of communication open, being patient, I think is helpful. Um, I also think like maybe looking at like the National Centers for PTSD website and getting, you know, familiarizing yourself with some research and treatment options and just kind of knowing a little bit more about the disorder might be a useful thing for family members to do. What I think is interesting with PTSD versus like OCD or even like specific phobias, I think there is a lot more tolerance mm -hmm. for it, right? Like people aren't like, that's not logical. Why would you think that way? Like yeah. people might think that's not logical, but I can understand, right? right? Uh -huh. Like if you have this PTSD. Because of the, do you think that that's because of the... Education well, piece? I, I, I was thinking, like, the there's market. a clear incident that happened yeah. that people can point to. I think with a lot of other anxiety, like, I don't know why you would have that. That doesn't seem like a big deal. Right. Sure. You know, but with this, you can point and go, oh, you saw this terrible thing happen or this terrible thing happened to you. I can understand why maybe that would cause. Yeah. I wonder if that Well, I wonder, too, yeah, everybody can empathize with the idea that, like, Oh, a huge trauma would be difficult right. to deal with. Whereas, like, not everyone's going to empathize with, like, why are you so scared of spiders? That makes no sense, or, right? Like, it's that, that kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah, and I think that's helpful probably for family members and friends. It's not. I don't know. If it's always as helpful for the sufferer themselves. Sure. But, I, but yeah, I mean, you can. It's one of the few diagnoses where you can. The, the cause is built into the diagnosis. You have to have experienced serious yeah. injury, threatened death, or sexual violence to have a diagnosis of PTSD, and those are all things that we could agree are pretty horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, with that, that actually brings me to, like, this is not necessarily a fully formed question, um, but like you were saying that, like, you know, it's been, it's been, you know, this bad thing, that bad thing, or that bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
there are a lot of bad things that, w- that do not at yeah, all sure. reach the, the, the initial Right, it's a pretty level. high threshold in DSM-5, that's true. Yeah, yeah look, people like, many, many people I know who've had very difficult things sure. happen and pretty, like, I mean, obviously it's me, a lot of socially, like, humiliating events or, like, terrible things that people treated them terribly. Yeah. There's no, you don't check that. Because it wasn't death, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So... Although it can't, there, I mean, one kind of exception is, like, you, you can fear for your life mm-hmm. even in a situation where you're actually safe like you can be convinced that you're going to die or about to be killed that's it's, that's a good point too right it may not you know in hindsight it might yeah. be oh it was kind of ridiculous but in the moment you can still be traumatized by that I, so, um, totally but I'm thinking like you know someone's been humiliated or they've had like something scary that wasn't about death mm-hmm. sure like, just like a I mean, I think it was like a lot of relationship related. Yeah, shows. yeah, a lot like of emotional public abuse embarrassment. And, yeah, and yeah. Or like bu- the bullying stuff mm-hmm. or something. Well, yeah. it's like you're treated being you're being treated. Really well, we would bad, call right? I think clinically often like a lowercase t for trauma. Right. Like yeah. it might not be one of those. Yeah. So, so how, how does that? I guess how does that kind of fit in with what we're talking about? Well, certainly, I think that those kinds of experiences can lead to a lot of the same kinds of symptoms. We just wouldn't technically call it. PTSD using the DSM-5, but I mean, there's other diagnoses in that same chapter that do kind of capture those things. So I think in terms of the way of understanding it, it's it's very similar. Like you can have a traumatic reaction to a lot of things in your life that can develop, you know, avoidance behaviors or intrusive thoughts. You can have intrusive thoughts of a horrible public speaking event, right, or, or embarrassment. Um, so and I think that, you know, it is trauma in some way. Now, if it fits more like into a social anxiety category, like the public speaking example, that might not be an appropriate case for PTSD treatment. But some of these other things might be, right? Like, but it doesn't, right? Like we do imaginal exposure, yeah. And yeah. Think, right? Like yeah, things that have nothing to do with yeah, like, yeah, changing the well, way of thinking about it, right? right. About right. death or I, you know, I also assault or I came across. Um, I don't know. It's probably a year ago now, but I was reading some articles on um, I forget the name of it. But the one where you would, like, like, you know, obviously, like, social anxiety focus for me. So it was within social anxiety treatment when people had certain incidents that they were having kind of intrusions about, like, bullying incidents or, like, where a group was really rejecting or something. And you, you find yourself thinking back on that and it coming up a lot and feeling, like, really down or cringy or yeah. unworthy. Mm-hmm. And basically doing, like, exposure on that but um, you know a prolonged repeated exposure of the memory but they also had that um, the technique of where you you enter as your present self to sort of comfort yourself or to you know help you think about it differently Um, that which I believe that comes out of out of doing like PTSD trauma work right I've heard it, yeah, I mean, so that's not a part of CPT or PE, but it certainly is a, a technique that's been used in other systems that I think can be pretty powerful, of like making this kind of hard differentiation between your reaction then and, and maybe a more kind of self-compassionate view now, right? Hey, uh, <laughs> if only people would talk about self-compassion. Um, <laughs> and I also think, like, when in describing the treatments before... Um, I don't want it to seem like those are the only things that can help with PTSD. Certainly some self-compassion or ACT or uh, just mindfulness training or other things can be useful. Which you um, do a lot of yeah. in your work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 
whether something is specifically a PTSD treatment or, or not. Sure. Yeah. It's not necessarily the best judge of whether that's good treatment. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that article was interesting to me because it, yeah. it was a new thing. I've, I hadn't previously seen that mm-hmm. applied to social anxiety, you know, social, but it's sort of set of treatments, and I was like, okay. It's a, it's a new treatment. I was like, that's yeah. definitely a trauma-related kind of treatment yeah. for social anxiety, which, yeah, it's new ground. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of, I think this... Maybe I think about this from an act perspective, but I think it comes up in other ways too. It's like having, you can have some empathy for the reason why you have the reaction. Sure. Yeah. It's trying to keep you alive, right? Yeah. Totally. It's just not necessary at that point of view. So you can yeah. kind of like, like that thank you for your thought thing from act I use a lot. It was kind of like, okay, thanks, brain, for trying to keep me safe at yes. the supermarket. Yeah. Not necessary right you now. You know, making me feel like this is a really dangerous situation. Yeah. You're looking out for me. I appreciate it. But yeah. I think I can still go to the vegetables and it'll be okay. You get to ride on the bus, but you don't get to drive the bus. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That so much I think of what the work we do is right short term pain for long term gain, but also it's like yeah, learning to lean into it and face what you're afraid of mm-hmm. in the context of like support. Right. Mm-hmm. Which kind of gets at I think most therapy. It's a, <laughs> a nice summary. Oh my gosh! You're usually doing this. That's just a nice summary. Of it, yeah. Well, I think of like when we do depression work, right? Mm-hmm. Which we don't do as much of, but all of it, like OCD, anxiety, PTSD. It's all like, yeah. How can I help increase your resources while while you're working on leaning into this thing that you're trying to avoid? Yeah. Because right, you're yeah, you're. Your amygdala is trying to keep you safe. It's trying to say yeah. there's danger everywhere. This is super dangerous, and trying to use some of our newer brain of. Hey, thanks. I get it. Hundred thousand years ago, <laughs> so yeah. it's been super helpful. But right now, yeah. recognize. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. You're going off in a time that's which isn't really. Or necessary. with PTSD, it's even like a year ago. I mean, like that. That sure. would have been really useful in combat. Sure, it's just avoid not this. Useful right yeah, now, right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a system that, that was helpful. Yeah, in the long, longer past or in the recent. Yeah. The recent past, but is not presently useful right. and helpful. Um. Is it makes you think about the news too, like the news is I you know it just keeps the threat system turned on because it's co- it's constantly telling you danger 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 yeah. anger anger danger danger right. anger just keeping that system turned on and if you turn turn it off it seems pretty unhelpful to be like getting these like I don't know like even though you don't you know you know you're not dying in that moment you watch this thing and it's just you see all this horrific stuff yeah all collected into this there you go. Or else, I mean, that, that used to be the TV news. Now it's just constant news. Your phone's got constant little... Threat, threat, threat. Little threats, little threats, little right. threats. And then you're like, oh, man, this one's really bad. I better spend more time in this really bad threat. Yeah. I, I, I don't know your thoughts right. on that, but that was... Yeah, well, I mean, I think the similarity is like there's... Whether it's an intrusive thought related to a trauma or reading the news, like very unlikely that doing more reading or doing more thinking about sure. this thing is going to solve the problem. Mm. Um, maybe well, you can make a donation, maybe you can do something, but like, but reading this thing for 30 more minutes or an hour more is unlikely to make a huge change. Yeah. Thinking yeah. about this thing that you're afraid of or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. In a different way though, right? You're not thinking about this thing you're afraid of in a way of how can I work on facing it and, you know, you're thinking of this thing of how can I make sure I never have to experience this again? How can I yeah. avoid it? Yeah, like that. You're trying to fix it in some way, as opposed to like I can tolerate People's it. Leaning in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. I mean, in PTSD, there can be more of a problem-solving problem, right? Like where I'm like, I'll just 
make it to where like I've got a camera at every entrance of my house and I've got this and I've got that so like I never have to worry about this again and it doesn't end that's yeah. not quite the same as the it's too, yeah, it's too self-protective threat mm-hmm. system I yeah. need to avoid 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 yeah. so it's me overwhelming and dangerous to not Okay, so in any any other things like just because you know this is our first time having you on here, so anything else that you would want? I don't know, like people who are listening, you'd want them to know about or remember or. Yeah, actually, I think I'll go back to the question that got cut off of the interview that I did for the. Uh, <laughs> for your other big so, media yeah. <laughs> spotlight. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, it is important to know that there are a lot of different approaches out there, and that if you're struggling with one, so like if you're trying to do PE and it's just brutal and it's not helping, it's fine. Let your therapist know there are other approaches that you can try. There's no shame in like not making it through the quote unquote gold standard treatment and trying another approach. Like maybe ACT is a better fit for you. Maybe basic CBT or even just like relaxation training is a better place to start. Um, I think the same applies for all of them. So there's, there's, PE and CPT and EMDR and there's seeking safety which is kind of a um, comorbid substance use and PTSD treatment and stress inoculation training there's a lots of different a lot of different approaches out there um, if you're trying one and it's not feeling like it's a good fit talk to your therapist about like maybe we should try some other approach or get a referral to somebody who can do another approach um, because I mean I don't encourage people to jump ship too early but I do I do think that it's important not to believe that there's like this only this one treatment out there. Like EMDR yeah. is the only thing that's going to save me. Or it sounds like what, what you're speaking to is like the willingness mm-hmm. to try something is more important than it has to be the perfect thing. That right. You're doing. Yeah. Same thing we would probably tell people about medications. Like it's not it, if the Prozac's not working, then talk to your doctor about maybe considering something else or changing the dosage. Like yeah. don't just like get set on it has to work. This one thing has to work. Basically, yeah. we don't want all or nothing thinking, right? Yeah. It's not. It's either this or it's terrible and I'm giving up. Yeah, yeah. it's all over. Yeah. But just be, that there's options out there, I think, is important okay. to know. And, and also, it might be, maybe it's not the right time for prolonged exposure. And maybe there's another time where you're like, okay, now I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there are some thoughts out there on kind of like stages of treatment with PTSD, specifically mm-hmm. around complex trauma, I think. But, like, you know, often the the kind of going into the past heavy treatment is not the best place to start. You would probably do some other things first. And it may not be the place you end either. Maybe you do one of the kind of CBT treatments and then we transition into doing ACT or some other thing. Um, I mean, I, I kind of see that happen a lot. Like the yeah. initial stages and there's more cognitive things and mm-hmm. intentional things and then start doing more, ex- more exposure and then the right. exposure starts to be we like woven through with a kind of larger values frame and, thing yeah. and self-compassion and like values and how we understand the world and all that yeah. you know the larger scale stuff starts to shift so yeah I think there sometimes it's here's a little bit of this two like two by the book mentality like this has to work in 12 sessions or 16 sessions yeah. and um which is also how it gets sold I think yeah. sometimes <laughs> so that's tricky to not um, get well, it's also that I mean, trap the research studies right yeah. the yeah. research studies are doing it the way that they and they're kicking out everyone who doesn't do the mm-hmm. exact protocol whereas real life we're working with humans <laughs> yeah. and you get to individualize what you're doing right yeah like we may need to take a detour and like working on your marriage for a few sessions and then we'll get back to some of this other stuff yeah. I think that's perfectly okay mm-hmm. so. 
Um, so I, that's one thing. And then uh, I, I do like, it's a VA website, but the National Centers for PTSD has some pretty good information. So if you're looking for yeah. just information about the diagnosis or treatment options. Um, but it's not just for like a combat. I mean, it talks mostly combat. about combat, but I mean, I think that it still applies to other traumas. Um, I, that's a good resource, I think, for, for sufferers and also for families. Awesome. More so if you're a veteran, but it still, I think, would be a good place to get information, mm-hmm. even if you're not. Great. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming. You're welcome. Yeah. So, so uh, everyone who now wants to come to you for treatment, <laughs> like, where, where, do they, where do they find you? How can they reach you? Uh, you our, on, our, on our website, anxietyaustin.org, <laughs> <laughs> right? Com. 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 Sorry. Com. We're not a nonprofit. We, we got in there first, so <laughs> we, we got in yeah. while the dot .com was available. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm 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 there, um, and you can reach me through email or give me a call. What's your email address? Email address Ryan at anxietyaustin dot com. Austin. Awesome. Austin. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and and I, I guess for us, then thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, listening. To this please please keep sending us all of your <laughs> so all many of your questions. suggestions, all, all of your questions. Comments. You know, we we're collecting a big list. Oh, we, we'll, we'll get to them when we can. Um, also, <laughs> rate us, right? Can yes. Yeah. Yeah. We we have a, a push right now to try to get a rating. So, rate us and. A review would be great. Yeah, uh, please. Rate us reviews and and subscribing. Obviously, since this comes out about once a month, but on not on the <laughs> regular schedule date. you're supposed to have. So um, subscribe, and then you'll know when a new one comes out. And uh, you can find me. Uh, I'm at thomasmithyman.com, which all that does right now is just go straight to the Anxiety Austin webpage. But um, I am Marianne at anxietyaustin.com. Yeah, so you can email. And my email address. Yes. Um, thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next time. Yeah. Cue outro.